0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. So We're here at the Centre for Sustainability um, and we've had a live stream, Extinction Rebellion, have hosted a live stream of the Aotearoa Climate Emergency Conference. Now, ACE, um, Aotearoa Climate Emergency, um, they are very focused on uh, the idea of the Citizens' Assembly um, participating petri democracy gosh that's a hard word isn't it um and just how that might work to help um help the government basically to make the hard decisions around what needs to change for the climate emergency. Um, So we've heard some interesting speakers today, um, and I'm just sat here with a few Extinction Rebellion members. Um, what, What stood out for you today, Jen, of something that you've heard at the conference?
1: Oh, well, I'm glad I made it today. I think quite a few things stand out to me, one of which was the representative from France, where they've already been trialing the Citizens' Assembly, And the way that the Citizens' Assembly is made up to represent the ages, genders, socioeconomic status, ethnicities, geographic regions, among other things um, that represent their country— and how that very much is different than looking at their representatory body of parliament. And I feel that that um, is very similar here in New Zealand, where if we look at the makeup of our parliament, it does not represent the makeup of our country. Mm-hmm. And why I think that a citizens assembly or some sort of governing body of sortition would be very valuable when trying to tackle these enormous changes that we need to make systemically in our country
0: yeah look I, I totally agree. I thought that was really interesting and um just seeing those pictures of how involved all those citizens were in those discussions and how um, they were able to bring different views on how different changes in society might affect them personally, I mean that actually that was really helpful to the group in in formulating decisions.
1: Oh, and it sounded like, you know, it was, ai think, a nine-month process for them that fell over, I think it was seven weekends, but then there were people who had time in between those weekends along the nine-month period so that they can continue to do as much or as little research as they wanted. And um, it sounded like those folks in the beginning felt very timid or perhaps out of place being Mm. there, unsure of the process, but that as they went along, that they became very um, credible and empowered and capable and, you know, able to work well in a group, even though there was, of course, you know, a bit of disagreement and discussion that in the end, that it was quite a process of empowerment for the people of their country.
0: Well, yeah, and it also stimulated a lot of public discussion um, about democracy and about the issues, um, which is one of the things I think would be really valuable in terms of educating the population about um, the climate crisis and, and what needs to change. Yeah, so um, what did you think about those presentations, Andrew? Was there anything that stood out for you?
2: Um I thought it was it was really revealing um, of how challenging it can be to change the status quo. For example, at, um, when Lise was talking about the outcome of the Citizens' Assembly, mm. um, there was a lot of public disappointment at the government's lack of implementation of an accurate um, version of what the Assembly had agreed on, and that's a, a sobering but also informative thing to consider when we try and progress our own version of a Citizens' Assembly here in New Zealand.
0: Well, definitely. I mean, it's a bit like the Climate Commission, isn't it? They can come out with a report, you know, and whatever your views on the report are, whether you think it goes far enough or not, however far it goes, the government are not actually obliged to act upon it. Um, And that would be an important part, the commitment to act Mm -hmm. on the the outcomes from a citizens' assembly.
2: Yeah, because this afternoon, listening to Rod Oram, who is... um a national journalist of significant note, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, He really Mm. illustrated how urgent our response and our action towards change has got to be. Mm. Did you have anything
0: you
1: wanted to add on to that, Jen? Oh, well, yeah, and I guess that idea that, you know, Currently, Labour has a majority power in Parliament given to them by the people, um, overwhelmingly in a vote. And Rod Oram was suggesting that what they're doing with that power is holding it as um, like almost like a savings account, rather than mm-hmm. looking at it as... A way to invest in our country, they seem to be quite timid, the Labour Party, to really um, create anything that verges on transformational with a vision um, describing it to the people of New Zealand as how it could... These actions could not only help our planet, but actually help our people, too. I mean, everyone I know right now is pretty burned out with the system that we're in currently. And so I think he made a good point. You know, if you have power in government, what are you doing with it? Why are you timid in the way that you're acting? Why mm. are you holding mm. that power as an account rather than investing it in our people? Um, that was a really good point to make
2: Yeah, and following on from that, Gene. It's our future prospects, isn't it? That mm. they should be investing their political and our financial capital in. I thought that was a, a brilliant point he wow. made. Yeah. And it's our nuclear moment, Jacinda. You know? Let's yeah. act on it. Act as if the house is on fire. Sorry, graduation.
0: No. Oh, well, look, I think, I we, think can. we can. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. Yeah, I that
2: you know, is. It's so. Absolutely to the point, isn't
0: it? Well, that's what we've always said as Extinction Rebellion. We're the fire alarm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I, I wonder whether the time has come now. In, in fact, most people, um, the majority of ordinary people, recognise that the climate crisis is real. Mm. They know it's happening and it's happening now. Um, they want something done about it, and it is the politicians that are lagging behind. Mm. You know, is that is is our our role sort of shifting? into trying to put forward some positive idea for an alternative democratic process that can allow the kind of changes that we need in the time frame that we need you know this is this is it with the citizens assembly and that you know pushing strongly for a citizens assembly with a commitment to act upon the outcomes yeah i mean is is that where we need to be going
2: so it's politically binding rather than just another non-binding referendum, which the government will sideline, like they have every, virtually every other report and program and initiative that they it, um, they start and then they don't follow up with action on mm-hmm. those often really good reports.
3: Yeah, I think that it's become overwhelming. For a lot of people, mm. even people who don't fully comprehend the the full crisis that we're yeah in, I think it's become overwhelming for a lot of people and um, basically gets put in the too hard basket. I can't face this, I can't deal with this. We're all doomed. I'll just go about my daily business Mm. and put the blinkers on. And one of the slides that um, Rod Oram put up really hit me, and it begins with issues are increasingly global, solutions are increasingly local. And at the end of that slide, I won't be able to pronounce one of these words properly, he says, we each can only do our infinitesimally small part, but if an infinitely large number of us do so, we can change the world. And that really hits home for me. And it's like an analogy that I really like is like you walk onto a beach and it's full of starfish that have become stranded. And one person can look at that beach and go, there's too many starfish, I can't possibly save them all, and walk away. Another person can go, and pick up one and place it back into the sea and say, but I can save this one Mm. and continue on. Mm. That, to me, is doing a small part in the big picture. Mm. And if everyone, you know, if 50 people went onto that beach and each picked up two starfish and placed them back into the sea, eventually Mm. there would be no starfish left stranded on the beach. And we don't all have to do an enormous amount. We collectively need to do mm. small incremental things to mm. achieve the goal for everyone. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, we, we've just
1: got to be prepared to actually do it, don't we? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think individual action allows us to connect ourselves with what's happening, and and it really allows us to face our own lives and how we can play a part in the solution. I'm also reminded that, you know, there are a handful of companies in New Zealand that are creating the vast majority of the emissions. And, um, you know, we can look at something like burning coal. And while I would like government support for helping people to transition out of coal in their individual homes, not only for the climate's health, but also for human health, for the lungs of the people who are burning coal. I think the government has a role to support those folks to um, have a healthier alternative to heating and cooking in their home. I also don't look at those, um, families, those households as being the real issue here. I look at, you know, our systemic use of coal in creating steel on the North Island or the systemic use of burning coal to dehydrate milk by Fonterra in order to export a product to countries overseas. And um, I just hope that we don't get confused with individual action, which is absolutely worthwhile, and we all need to do our part. However, we really need to look at a citizens' assembly to urge systemic change and really push the government to force these changes um, on industries or systems that aren't going to budge without our um, our momentum.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. Good point. I, I do I agree with that.
3: That's that's where um, uh, NVDA, nonviolent direct action, really comes in, mm. and I, I think it's time to wow. step it up and target. Like I was speaking to somebody recently about um, they had, and during the Springbok tour, they'd boycotted a, a wine company because it was imported South African wine. Imported, they managed to shut the place down. Mm. And I was just like, "Wow!" I had no idea that that kind of stuff was going on. I was focused. Mm. I was like eleven or whatever, and focused on the the rugby oh. stuff. Yeah. And and. A a group of them organised to hit every aspect that they possibly could in every way possible. Mm. And a simple boycott meant that that wine company was in dire straits. Mm. I think we need to be looking at every possible angle that we can be taking and moving in and making it happen.
0: I I noticed when somebody asked Rod um, what happens when you vote in a government who do promise change um but then you find that change is not coming about quick enough. <laughs> um, and his answer to that was well what we then need is civil disobedience. Yeah, um,
3: yeah.
0: yeah. That, was call. So that was a yeah.
3: That was, that was
0: yeah. a call to to arms that was Hold, a call, holding but,
2: arms. Yeah,
0: this is oh, yeah. it. You know, I mean we have been promised change, and it hasn't come about. We emissions have actually risen. You know, have you seen those latest figures? Yeah. They went up up two percent while we've had our government where um, this is our nuclear moment yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So no, obviously we need to actually keep up the pressure. I mean, I think the debate is out there that, and you know, and that it's well known that things do have to change. Um, But it's time that the hard decisions were made and maybe the government just isn't capable of making them. Maybe it has to be uh, the citizens that do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What do you think, Andrew?
2: Yeah, I'm optimistic that um, with uh, just listening to the conference speakers today, um, particularly Rod Oram, that we can... uh, bring about the change that we need. And his emphasis, again, on the urgency. He said we've got 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, The IPCC said we've got 10 years uh, to make a reduction of 50% in our emissions.
0: 50%
2: 50 in our emissions, yeah. Uh, Or we are going to lose the battle. So we don't have a choice if we want to thrive as a species. We don't want this to be a short-lived experiment, do
3: we? Uh, (laughs) not Not me let me think about that no sometimes I
0: wonder whether the world would be better off without people but but I don't think we're just going to vanish overnight you know the main thing here is that we need to actually act now as well because we want to do it in a managed prepared way we don't Mm -hmm. want to wait until people actually really are suffering more than they're already suffering and it will be there will be more people the longer it goes on without any action, the worse the climate change is going to be, the worse the effects will be, and the more people will suffer. Yeah. You know, and that is why we want to do it now. And we want to face up to the changes that happen right now so that we can be prepared.
1: Uh, just at a time when we are looking to need more storage behind our dams for hydroelectricity because we need to transition. We're not getting the rainfall. We need to mm. keep them stocked, mm. right? This is mm. happening in the South Island, the North Island. Things are starting to um, burn more than they would have in the past. So it's all around us at this point. And um, I don't like to live in fear. It's not a good place to stay because you can get frozen there or you can start getting... Mm. Um, a bit overwhelmed, like we were speaking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if you're not feeling concerned at this point enough to start showing up or contacting your representatives or making your own lifestyle changes, or just investigating how can you tap into these networks that already exist, to push change faster I really urge you to look at um, just what's happening in our own South Island water storage which we need for electricity which we need for drinking which we need for recreation not to mention of course all of the ecosystems and life diversity of animals and plants which also live alongside of us which need them as well
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, Gosh. yeah. Good well, is. there's a lot mm-hmm. to be done you know and not much time to do it yeah um and i think that's where we do need good leadership you know we need people who are able to express that vision of a different kind of future where i mean yeah where where we can cope with the sort of changes that we're looking at where we don't all just jump into our cars and expect to just drive there straight away where we're kind of I don't know. It's going to be a different, a different way of life. Maybe a, maybe a slower pace of life. Maybe more based around our local communities and thinking about people rather than money
3: all the time. Mm. Mm. Uh, Managing without money. I don't think that leadership has to come from government because it's not going to. Because their hands are tied Mm. by a billion different things and nobody wants to step out and put their head on the chopping block Mm. because Mm. they want their political career to continue. But that leadership can come from us, from community organisations and um, tangata whenua and stuff. I think it's time for us to take our place at the table. I think it's time for us to rise up and take the power that actually is ours because Mm. we are the employers of the government Mm. and we're in a COVID-free New Zealand. We're in a privileged position to actually be able to go out and and have meetings and have hui and have korero around how to claim our own power and how to use that Mm. because... We've shown in the past in Aotearoa that when we all collectively, well, not everybody, but a significant portion of us collectively stand together, hmm. we enact change. You know, Rainbow Warrior gets blown up, we become nuclear-free. Yeah. Springbok tour, South African apartheid. We say no. We say no. Yeah. And nobody can stop us. When we get together on that scale, no government can stop us. Mm. So we need to stop, I think, trying to, I mean, continue trying to enact change with the government and make them take responsibility and step up, but also to just take our power and get it done.
2: Yeah, really
0: well said. Yeah, well well said. said, That's um, right. I think that's something that people forget. The power is in the hands of the people. You know, this is...
1: And, and, and if it's any trade fit. unionist
0: will tell you that you yeah. know if we don't if we mm. say no there's nothing they can do we're the ones that put them there and pay their wages mm. so mm. yeah
2: and they are they are really early adopters when they know they are corners.
1: Aren't they? <laughs>
2: it's incredible how quickly government changes its tune when it sees that it's politically untenable for them to continue kicking the ecological can down the road and over the...
3: Exactly.
0: Like, well, you know. and they've shown by COVID that when they really have to, they can make big yeah. changes and they can pay for them. Yeah. When they really want to do it, they will.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, but obviously, we have to make them. Well, yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, I had
0: hoped that they would be listening to the science like they did with COVID, that they would be listening to the science around climate change. You know, there's... Yeah, I
3: don't actually believe that a significant portion of them don't want to change the situation. I think that they're constrained. Like leading up to the last election, there's a certain amount that you've got to keep this portion of the population happy to get their vote and this portion, etc. And I think that there's a certain amount of idealism going into Mm. politics but then once they've got a seat at the table their hands are a bit tied and I think that that's where people power is really important to force the change because it will become well you know, wouldn't it be fantastic if we had enough people putting in energy to enough people power to enact full on serious change because then they would know you're not Mm. going to get voted in again unless you get on board with us well,
0: yeah, you would hope that they would be thinking that. It was like after the the um, the school strike for climate. Was it, I think it might have been two thousand and nineteen, where they had one hundred and seventy thousand people, and it wasn't just the youth. It was. People from all walks of life, all ages, showing that they wanted to, they were prepared to get out on the streets and Mm. and say.
3: And I think with that too is that was 170,000 people. That's apparently our second largest protest ever mm. in our history. But also, 170,000 people were actually available and able to go out, but that wasn't the majority of people who wanted to.
1: Mm, the other yeah, people who could more, have yeah. actually
3: got time off their jobs without being penalised, etc., that yeah. there could have been three hundred and fifty thousand people.
2: Mm, mm,
0: mm. Yeah. Well, so citizens' assembly. What else did we hear that was interesting that we can put into practice when we're talking about a Citizens' Assembly in New Zealand. Ah, I mean, there was a question, and I, I it was a difficult one for the lady from France to answer, but that was, how can we ensure um, in a Citizens' Assembly in New Zealand that there is enough of an indigenous voice there? Um, and I noticed there has been some discussion about how we can honour the treaty and protect the views of Tangata Fenua. But, yeah, the Citizens' Assembly is an interesting one, how we make sure that it's not just another um, basically coloniser-dominant institution.
1: I really appreciated the youth representatives that were there today at the conference, and they were, of course, open-minded and making suggestions as just representatives of the youth that up to a 50% um, bicultural representation would be appropriate in a citizens' assembly if we are to honor the treaty obligations.
0: Mm. Wow, that would be fantastic. Then, yeah. I mean, it... I think it's about time that we admitted we've made a bit of a hash-up of what's going on and and go back to some indigenous knowledge, Mataranga Māori, um, and see how that can help us in this current situation. Because I know that there are a lot of people who, who believe that it can. Yeah, just give us a different view on the world.
3: And I think it's really important for um, us as Pākehā not to impose what we think tangata whenata can bring to the table and actually be asking what do you feel you mm. want to bring to the table and need to bring to the table so that it is completely, um, it's completely out of our hands. It's not up to us to say this is how it's going to work and this is what we want you to help us out with. Yeah, It's important yeah. for us to say how does this work for you? Please let us, you know, tell us how you want to be at the yeah. table. I
0: didn't mean to say that we we say, oh look, now we've made a mess and you're going to clear I it know, up. I know, <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know, I know,
3: but uh, yeah, that's that's a really good point actually. So that it doesn't become tokenism. No, mm-hmm. because we're not the we're not the boss, okay. and it it can easily become we want to set this up, we want you at the table, so actually we need to give that away Mm. and say, you tell us how to do this.
2: Mm.
0: Great, gosh, I hope we can do that. It's been really good talking to you, and uh, yeah.